and God's God-breathed word reads, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Verse 4, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing. Please be seated. And let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we come asking you to speak to our hearts this morning. We come asking you to transform us through your word more into the likeness of your son. We come to you this morning asking that by your grace you would help us to treasure Jesus more as a result of what we hear. Father, I pray for the hearers that you would help them to have a single focus upon you in this time. Remove any distractions. Give soft hearts in order to receive your word with gladness. Oh, Father, may the word be received with joy. God, I pray for anyone who's here who may not know you. I pray, Father, that you would draw them by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring them to repentance and faith. And as a congregation, we would be praying even now that you would draw those who don't know you to Christ. I pray that we would all enter in, praying that your spirit would work and regenerate their heart and bring them into your kingdom. Oh, Father, we praise you for the privilege to gather this morning. It's always a privilege to hear your word. It's always a privilege to hear your word preached. And we pray, Father, 
that through the preaching of your word, you would conform us more into the image of your son. God, help us to turn away from the things that you tell us to turn away from and help us to cling to the things that you tell us to cling to. Help us to pursue Jesus. I pray that Jesus would be our supreme satisfaction. So, oh, Father, work in our lives now. I pray that the meditation of my heart and I pray that the words of my mouth, God, would certainly be acceptable in your sight. Help me to cast myself upon you. God, I need your help. I need your help, oh God. Would you help me? And would you exalt your son? So do this for your glory and for your namesake. I pray this in Jesus' mighty, miraculous, matchless name. Amen. Amen. So a few weeks ago, we were in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, before I go any further, if you need a Bible, would you please raise your hand? If you need a Bible, there's people coming down the aisles who will give you a Bible if you need one. Just raise your hand. A few weeks ago, we were in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we saw that the Apostle Paul told Timothy to continue in what he has learned. So the Apostle Paul told Timothy, continue in what you have learned from me. Um, remember in verse 10 of chapter 3, he said, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and sufferings that happened to me. So he, he said to Timothy, continue in what you have learned, continue in the teaching you heard, continue in following my example, even in persecution, even in suffering. And then he said, continue in what you have learned from your grandmother and your mother. We see that in verse 14 of chapter 3, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. So he says, Timothy, continue in what you have learned from me, from my teaching, from my example, but also continue in what you have learned from a child, from your grandmother and from your mother. And then we saw what the Bible teaches us, what we should learn from the scriptures, and we saw that all scripture is breathed out by God, and that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be competent or complete and equipped for every good work. So now when we move to chapter 4 and the very beginning, we move to a charge that Paul gives Timothy. And we see in verse 2 that he says, preach the word. But before we look at verse 2, it's so important not just to read verse 1, but to see 
the seriousness of what is going on in verse 1 before he tells Timothy to preach the word. And if this chapter division was not here, we would see a logical flow from the end of chapter 3 going into chapter 4. And it would read like this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. So you would see this logical flow, this weight of this, this, these words that are breathed out by God. Paul's building upon something. He's like, these words that have been breathed out by God, preach this. But before he commands him to preach in verse 2, he says something so sobering in verse 1. He says, I charge you or I command you in the presence of God. Timothy, I command you, I charge you in the presence of God. And of Christ Jesus, here's more weight, who is to judge the living and the dead. Feel the weight of this, Timothy. Feel the seriousness of this, Timothy. I charge you with the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Timothy, this is serious. Paul heightens the command to preach the word in verse 2. Paul shows that we are dealing with an eternal outcome. He says he's to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom. He's like, Timothy, you got to be faithful in preaching this word. Do you see the seriousness of why you need to preach this word. There's, there's coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to return. And he's going to judge the living and the dead. People are going to be judged, Timothy. And you got to preach this word faithfully. You cannot shrink back from preaching the truth. And there's a temptation, not just for pastors, but for all of us to not preach on certain things. Because we know if we preach on certain things, it's going to be unpopular to certain people. So when he says preach the word, he's saying preach the full counsel. Preach it all. Preach everything. Don't skip over hell. Don't skip over judgment. As I said last time, preach on the love of God, but also preach on the wrath of God. Preach the word. Don't allude to the word. Don't preach around the word, but preach the word. Pastors, preach the word. And if you're not a pastor, we're still called to deliver the word, minister the word, and to share the word. Preach the word. In season and out of season. Now, for me, it's very sobering to think about what James 3 says when James says 
Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that, who, that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So he's like, Timothy, this is serious. And you must preach it all. You must be faithful. You must not shrink back. You must say things in the word even if people don't want to listen to it. Preach and don't shrink back. I love what Tony Marita says of verse 1 where he says, this should give all of us who preach a correct perspective on the task Our audience, first and foremost, is God himself. Because of this, the unpopular, quote, unknown, unquote, pastor should not be discouraged by his lack of fame or recognition. He should remember that his ultimate call is faithfulness to God and that his ministry is eternally important, even if his church is small. The popular, quote, famous, unquote, pastor should not be arrogant. His ultimate evaluation is not from people, but from God. So we must preach the word in congregation. You must hold us accountable to preaching the word. But this text and and this verse in verse 1 is showing that we're held accountable to God. And we have to preach this word. No ifs, ands, or buts. And we can't shrink back. We have to say everything it says, even if it offends people. So he says, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Preach it when it's convenient and preach it when it's not convenient. In season and out of season, preach the word. Reprove, correct, rebuke. And exhort, which could also be translated encourage, with complete patience and teaching. Y'all know there's sometimes when we need to be reproved. Y'all know there's sometimes when we need to be rebuked. It says, preach the word, reprove and rebuke. All of us at times need to be reproved. All of us at times need to be rebuked. John the Baptist preach the word. And we see that it was unpopular to a lot of the people that he preached to. When he preached to Herod and called out his sin, in Luke 3, Herod had a problem with it and even put him in prison. Jesus himself, when he preached the word, he had many people who were offended when he reproved them and rebuked them. When Paul preached the word, there was times when he was stoned and left for dead. But he continued to preach because the gospel is a stone of offense to some. But as we have heard many of times, to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. But he says, preach, reprove, rebuke, and encourage. Now here's something to keep in mind. When we reprove or when we rebuke, if we then don't do teaching after that, we just kind of leave someone wandering around aimlessly. When, when a person is rebuked, they also need to be taught what is the right thing to do. 
for us to correct someone um, who may be in error or be in sin is one thing. But then for us to encourage them, as it says, to exhort, to encourage, for us to encourage them towards faithfulness in God's promises is a whole other thing. So we have to make sure that our rebuke is followed by teaching. And not just teaching, but as it says, patient teaching. Because a lot of times we want people to change right away, right? A microwave change. Put it in and it comes right out and people will change. We don't even change that way. And if we're honest, we know we're a work in progress. Have been a work in progress for a long time, and we are still a work in progress. So we have to teach with patience. And that means a lot of times we got to cast ourselves on the Lord and be reminded of the patience that he has consistently demonstrated towards us so that we can be patient with others. We want to encourage. We want to encourage those who are in sin. You just don't rebuke those who are in sin, but you encourage them to turn towards Christ, to flee from their sin, but turn towards Jesus. They cast themselves upon the grace that is provided to change. And we do that with patience. In verse 3, we see urgency urgency. It says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That is so sobering. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They won't be able to handle it. They'll hear sound teaching and they just won't be able to endure it. It's like, you know, like children who cover their ears and they're like, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it. They won't endure this sound teaching. They just won't want it. And then it says, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So he says, there's coming a time when people, they're, they're not going to, be able to endure sound teaching. They're just, they're going to hear sound teaching, hear truth, um, hear things preached from the word that confronts their sin, hear things preached from the word that causes them to cringe because they don't want to change. It says they're not going to endure sound teaching, but they're actually going to accumulate for themselves teachers. They're going to find teachers that will suit their own passions find teachers that will feed their own lusts. You'll have people that will hear the word of God preach and they'll leave the church to go find another church that can tell them what they want to hear. People will hear sermons preach and hear the pastor saying, you cannot continue to sleep with your girlfriend and you're not married. And they will say, I don't want to hear that. And they'll go try to find a pastor or a preacher or a teacher that will say, that's okay for you to continue to have sex with your partner outside of marriage. They won't want to hear the truth. They'll find teachers that tell them what they want to hear, what feels good, because they have itching ears. They just want their ears tickled. And as pastors, as preachers, and I would say as church members, 
we could feed into the lie of just telling people what they want to hear and not tell them the truth. The Bible says to speak the truth in love. To love someone is to really tell them the truth. If they're denying Jesus to tell them that in you rejecting Jesus, you will perish and spend the eternity in hell, it's not hatred, that's love. To tell a Hebrew Israelite that you living according to the law will only damn you to hell, you need grace, and you need the bloodshed of Christ to cover your sin, that's love, that's not hatred. To tell a Muslim that Jesus is more than a prophet. He's the son of God. If you think he's just a prophet, you're in trouble. He's not just a prophet. He's more than a prophet. He's the son of God, and he is God in the flesh who walked this earth, who was tempted like you and I, who was crucified on the cross and crushed in our place, placed a mediator who's able to, to bridge the gap between sinful men and a holy and righteous God. That's not hatred. That's love. That's love. But the Bible's saying that there's going to be people who's going to have itching ears. And they're going to want to hear something that would just make them feel good. And as people, as pastors and as people, we could, we could itch their ears, but we wouldn't be faithful. Sometimes the word of God drops like a hammer, as it says. And sometimes the word of God burns our ears and causes us to repent. As we see in the word of God, it talks about in Acts how their hearts burned within them when they heard the word of God speak. So we have to be faithful. We must be faithful people. And we must be faithful in preaching the word of God. Notice that it says that they'll gather these teachers to suit their own passions. In Titus 2.11 11, 11 to 13, it says, For the grace of God has appeared... Bring in salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So the grace of God trains us to renounce worldly passions, but our flesh craves worldly passions. So as we hear God's word preached, as we read God's word, as we pray, we ought to pray for more grace in our lives to renounce worldly passions because every last one of us struggles with worldly passions in some way, shape, or form. I mean, let's just keep it real. We need to be trained by the grace of God to renounce these worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Verse 4 says, and they will turn away from listening. These people, they're not just going to accumulate um, teachers to suit their passions, but they're going to turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now notice, when it says they will turn away from listening to the truth, it's followed by, and they will wander into myths. So when you turn from listening to the truth, you then start wondering, and you wander off into myths, fables, and you just become 
someone who enters into the devil's playground for him to do whatever he wants with you. I mean, this is serious stuff. This is why he's saying, Timothy, preach the word. This is why God has commanded us, brothers and sisters, share the word, teach the word with no compromise, the full counsel of God. People's souls are on the line. And this is why when we hear truth, may God give us the grace to receive the truth, even if it doesn't feel good. And by the power of God's spirit, may he bring us to repentance when there's things exposed in our heart that don't reflect, reflect the character of God. When there's things exposed in our heart that don't line up with Jesus. So may we receive the truth with gladness because it's good for us. It's good for us. Verse 5 says, as for you. He's like, these individuals are going to do these things. But as for you, always be sober-minded. Always think clearly. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. As you share this truth, you're going to suffer. But endure suffering do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. So when he tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, evangelist, he's not just talking to Timothy. The word of God is calling all of us to do the work of an evangelist because we're all called to share the good news. We're all called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all called to tell people that the creator of the universe who has created Mankind is a holy God who we have sinned against, who we have rebelled against. The Bible says that all fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Because we have sinned against this infinitely holy God, we deserve to die. Not just a natural death, but a spiritual death for all eternity. We deserve to be cut off from God. But because... He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place to give us a perfect righteousness for those who repent and trust in Christ. We could have eternal life. We are all called to do the work of an evangelist, to tell people that your sin is keeping you from this infinitely, not just holy God, but loving God. And you must turn from your sin and repent and trust in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ so that you can be forgiven and made righteous and declared perfect in the sight of God. We must do the work of an evangelist. And he tells Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Be faithful. When he says fulfill your ministry, he's talking about everything that he said in verses, um, well, chapter, well, in the books, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Um, so he's talking about everything he said in First and Second Timothy, but he's also, um, in, in a more immediate context, talking about preaching the word of God faithfully with no compromise whatsoever in the midst of trial, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering. Whatever you go through, Timothy, you got to continue to preach and proclaim this thing. And that's the exhortation to us. No matter what, may we be faithful with the truth. May we be faithful. May we fulfill our ministry. So in the first five verses, we see a charge to be faithful. 
In the last three verses, verses six through eight, we see an example of finishing well. We see an example of finishing well. Verse six says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. When we see the word drink offering, it's pointing to a certain type of imagery. Imagery. Um, in the Old Testament, there were these offerings, these sacrifices that were offered up to God. Um, when people would make sacrifices, sometimes they would also take wine and pour out the wine as well. So when Paul says that I'm being poured out as a drink offering, he's referring to the imagery of sacrifice. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And then he goes on to say that the time of my departure has come. Um, in the original language in Greek, the word departure um, in Greek literature means to loosen something. It means to loosen something. So, um, for instance, uh, loosening the stakes out of, a ground, out of the ground. You know, soldiers would loosen the stakes out of the ground with the ropes. And when they loosened the stakes out of the ground with the ropes to their tents, then they were now free to depart somewhere else. Um, or... Um, the loosening of, of ships, for instance, can refer to the loosen, loosening of ships, um, taking the ropes and loosening the ropes that keeps a ship docked or the chains that keeps a ship docked. Um, so when Paul says that my departure has come, he's talking about the loosening. This imagery is beautiful, the loosening of whatever's staking him here in this present life so that he can sail to glory. Beautiful imagery. So he's not necessarily talking about dying, although that is going to happen, but he's talking about departing to go to his heavenly home. <laughs> Man, if we saw it that way in the face of death, if we had that type of boldness, that type of confidence, that type of courage, that when I die, I'm sailing to my heavenly home, oh, that would give us so much courage to persevere. So we see a man who finishes well, who's finishing well. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, even in his life being taken. Paul is saying that's an act of worship to God. Even when they sever my head off my shoulders, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, as a sacrifice of worship to the Lord. I'm giving my life for this gospel. This is a man who is dedicated, sold out, loves Jesus, who's ready to depart and be with him. Remember he said in other places, I wish to depart and be with Jesus, but it's better for me to stay here for your sake. He was a man who wanted to be with Christ, was looking forward to being with Jesus, and he was not afraid of death. He goes on to say in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. As we look at Paul's example of finishing well, I want to give us a couple of practical things to think about as we consider finishing well. Number one, in order to finish well, we have to recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. 
that we are in a spiritual fight. Brothers and sisters, we have to recognize we're in a spiritual fight. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of, of God, which is able to, I'm, so, I'm sorry, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When he says, I fought the good fight, Look at the things he was fighting. We're in a fight, brothers and sisters. We're in a spiritual fight. We're in a fight against the schemes of the devil, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When all these things are happening in our lives, do we think that in the spirit realm, there's things that are attacking us, trying to get us to quit, trying to derail us, trying to get us to throw in the towel? There's spiritual forces. We can't swing a fist and hit our object. We have to hit our object by being on our knees. We have to hit our object by being in God's word. So we are fighting against spiritual forces as we advance the kingdom of God. If you think the devil is just going to chill while we're sharing the gospel and winning souls and trying to do everything that we can by his grace to lead people to Christ, then we are deceived. He's going to do all that he can to stop us, to hurt us, to get us to quit, to get us to doubt our faith. And on top of that, we have to fight our own flesh. We have to fight the sin in our own hearts. We have to fight our own sinful thoughts in our minds. We have to fight for purity. We have to fight our pride. We have to fight for our marriages. We have to fight for our children. We have to fight for our family members. We have to fight to believe God's promises. We have to fight unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Brothers and sisters, if we don't recognize that we are in a battle, we will not fight. We will not fight in prayer. I mean, just think of the times when you go to pray and you just feel like you don't want to. A lot of times we got to fight just to pray. But how many times have, have you fought to pray and then God met you? And then there's other times where you fight to pray and you just feel like, I didn't get too far. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. We have to fight to be in God's word. How many times have we said, I'm going to start the Bible reading plan, <laughs> January 1st, and it gets to January 5th, and you got to start all over again. We got to fight to read God's word. 
There's spiritual forces trying to get you to neglect the God-breathed word. There's spiritual forces trying to get us to neglect the very thing that sanctifies us and shapes us more into the likeness of Jesus. Sanctify them in truth. My word is truth. We have to fight. And the only way we're going to fight is if we know we're in a battle. We have to fight for accountability when we're struggling with things, when we're struggling with sin. We have to fight to go into the light and expose our sin and confess it so that people can hold us accountable and pray for us so that we'll be healed. We got to fight, brothers and sisters. Sean Owens, I know that you're not here, but if you listen to this message... I want to encourage you to fight the good fight of faith, sister. Keep fighting. Fight. God has promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with you. He will be your help. He will comfort you. Continue the fight. When those thoughts enter in your mind that are negative, cast them down. And hold to God's promises. We love you, sister. Fight the good fight of faith. Point two. In order for us to finish well, we have to stay on course and focus on the finish line. Acts 20, through 24, Paul says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit and not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And then he says, I do not account my life of any value nor precious to me. Listen to these words. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify of the gospel of grace. If only I may finish my course. So the word is so beautiful when he now says <laughs> that I have finished the race. If only I may finish my course, and then later on I have finished the race. We all have a race to run. And there's many people that start, but there's also many people who don't finish. So what's going to keep us focused? What's going to keep us focused, brothers and sisters, on the course? It's looking to Jesus. It's looking to Christ. So in order to finish well, we have to stay on course and we must focus on the finish line. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Set before us. He goes on to say, looking to Jesus. <laughs> Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
We all have a race to run, and Jesus is at the finish line. May that keep us on course to continue to be faithful. Sin's trying to tangle us up. We have things that are weighing us down that we need to cast off. But let's continue to look to Jesus who's waiting at the finish line for us to enter in. By his grace and by his grace alone. And number three. In order to finish well, we have to keep the faith. We have to keep the faith. Notice Paul says, he's like, man, I finished the race and I've kept the faith. I fought the good fight. It was tough. It was hard. But I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I've kept the faith. I kept the gospel, this treasure that we see over and over again, that Paul exhorts Timothy to guard, to guard, to protect this treasure. He's like, I kept the faith. We are all given a stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. And we must hold on to this stewardship. This gospel that consistently points us to Jesus, that we need to be reminded of every single day, but also this gospel that we extend to others, which is the only way. Jesus is the only way to God. We must be faithful. We must keep the faith. In verse 8, he says, Henceforth, or could be translated now, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. <laughs> Paul says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. This is not li- he's not literally talking about a, a physical crown, but he's using a metaphor that points to the righteousness that is given to us in Christ. Now, many people have thought that this is possibly um, imputed righteousness, Or some have even said this is a a practical righteousness because Paul lived a righteous life. Although it wasn't perfect, but he lived a righteous life. He received this crown of righteousness. But I, I don't think it's talking about any of those two. I think it's talking about the fullness of righteousness that believers will receive when they enter into glory. Yes, we have an imputed righteousness for those who have repented and trusted in Jesus Christ. We are declared righteous, but not righteous in ourselves. And it's true that because of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, we are killing sin. Although, you know, we're not perfect, we're killing sin and moving more in the direction of Christ's likeness, growing in righteousness. But I believe this text here is talking about the fullness of righteousness that believers are going to receive when they go to glory, where they're going to be perfectly righteous inside and out. Now, we see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied or filled. So as they pursue Righteousness, they shall be filled. But it's the, um, this Galatians passage 
that leads me to think that it's talking about a, a righteousness that, that will be a full righteousness when we're in the presence of God. And it says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, why would he say that we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness unless we're 100% fully righteous? Again, because of imputed righteousness, we are righteous in front of God. But this is talking about a fullness of righteousness where no thought whatsoever that sinful will ever go through your mind again. This is talking about how you'll have no wavering affections when it comes to worshiping your Lord. This is talking about a righteousness where you will never, ever struggle with sin again. So you can see why Paul is so excited to enter into the presence of his God. And that's why he says, henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Will award me on that day. And I love this because he's not just talking about himself, but he says, and also, not only me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. Who have loved his appearing. Those who have loved his appearing. Those who just want Jesus, those who have longed for Jesus, those who just want to be in his presence, those who just love Christ, the crown is going to be for them too. Because the reason why we love God is because he loved us first. So this shows true saving faith. The reason why they long for him, they love his appearing, is because they have truly been transformed. They love God. They love Jesus. They want to be with him. They want to see him. They want him to appear. And this is why those who don't have a love for Jesus, that's a mark that you're not converted. A person who has love for Christ, that's a mark that you are converted. We see it all throughout the Bible. You just read 1 John. All throughout the Bible, love marks the believer. And we love God because he first loved us. So on that day of the appearing of the righteous judge, what will be your outcome? Will you receive a crown of righteousness for us who believe in Jesus Christ? There's a crown of righteousness that awaits us. Righteousness in its fullness. Can you just imagine, it's even hard to imagine that there's coming a day when I'll never, ever have another negative thought. There's coming a day when I will never, ever struggle with a temptation again. There's coming a day for you who have believed and trusted in Christ, brothers and sisters, where sickness will never hit your body again. Your loved ones who have died, you'll never have to think about that again. Sin will never touch you, come close to you. The Bible says it won't even enter into heaven. Perfect righteousness. This is amazing. 
And it says, all who have loved his appearing will receive the crown of righteousness. Have you loved his appearing? Do you love Jesus? Do you long to see him? Do you long to be with him? Do you long to commune with him? Do you long to be in his presence? And I know there's times because of sin, we have wavering affections, but by God's grace, he always pulls us back. You long to be with him. May God give us grace to long to be with Jesus more, to love his appearing, to desire his appearing, to say, Jesus, I just want to be with you. I'm looking forward to your return because I want to be with you. And we could still sit at the feet of Jesus in his word, in God's word. We could still sit at the feet of Jesus. But, oh, when he appears, there's going to be those who are terrified. But for those who are believers, it's going to be a great joy to see our Savior, to see our Lord. So there's many people who are crippled when they think about death. They're crippled with fear. But as believers, we ought to have courageous faith. Courageous faith. So Paul finished well. Um, A few months ago, I had a conversation with a man and he shared a story with me that was very moving, moving. And he shared with me how there came a point in his life where he wandered away from the faith. And he was just doing everything you could think of. And um, eventually he got word that his father was about to die. And uh, he wanted to go visit his father. And when he visit, visited his father on his deathbed, his father was pleading with him to turn to Jesus pleading with him, and, and he pleaded with him until he died. And this man who I was talking to, he told me how he never forgot his father pleading with him on his deathbed as he's about to die. He's telling him, turn to Jesus, turn to Jesus. The world has nothing for you. The world is empty. Turn to Jesus, turn to Christ. And he died, and he said that stayed in his mind, and this man turned from his sin, thinking of that image and return back to Christ. His father finished well. He left a legacy that his son will always remember. Always remember. About two days ago, many of you may know this, Billy Graham was buried. He was buried. I had a conversation with my friend uh, two days ago, and he said, I'm at Billy Graham's funeral. And he sounded a little sad. I said to him, brother, Billy Graham is far better off than we are. (laughs) And he laughed and said, you're absolutely right. When Billy Graham was living, here's a quote that he said. He said, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Do not believe a word of it. I shall be more alive then than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Another quote by him. Death for the Christian is the doorway to heaven's glory. Because Christ's resurrection, because of his resurrection, we can joyously say with the Apostle Paul, Oh, death, where is your sting? One more quote, my home is heaven. I'm just traveling through in this world. 
Brothers and sisters, our home is heaven. We're just traveling through in this world. May we look towards the return of Christ and his appearing because we love him. Can you just imagine what that's going to be like? For unbelievers, that's going to be terrifying, right? I mean, the Bible talks about these, all of these angels coming when he returns. You know, I mean, you just think of the pictures in Revelation for unbelievers. They're going to be terrified. But for believers who have been purchased by the bloodshed of Jesus, I can only imagine what it's going to be like when we see him and we're in his presence fully righteous inside and out, through and through, not worried about any sin. And our affections are perfectly worshiping Christ. I could only imagine what that's going to be like. Brothers and sisters, let's look to Jesus Let's continue to run the race with endurance. Let's fight the good fight of faith. By God's grace, let's finish the race. By God's grace, may it be said that we have kept the faith because there's a crown of righteousness that awaits us who are faithful. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, who was crucified on the cross for sinners like us. And because of Jesus Christ, we can say that I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, who loved me and gave himself for me. You loved me and you gave your son God for me. And that's why I love you. That's why we love you, because you loved us first. This was not a work of our doing. It's all a work of your grace. No man or woman can boast. And God, you've began a good work in us, and you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So looking forward to seeing you face to face. Lord, there's so much sin in this world. There's so much corruption. It grieves us. And I know it grieves you more than it grieves us. But we know that there is a day coming where you're going to make everything right. Oh, God, help us to look forward to your return. Help us to long to be with you, Jesus, now and for all eternity in your presence where we won't struggle with any sin whatsoever or have wavering affections in our worship of you. Oh, Father, help us to look forward to that day. And help us to be faithful. Help us to preach your word. Help us to do the work of an evangelist. Help us to preach and share your word in season and out of season. Help us to do it with patience, God. Help us to do it with teaching. Oh, God, help us to be faithful for your glory and for our joy and for the joy of your people. 
We pray this in the name of your matchless son, Jesus Christ. Amen.